Hey there, do you love pet content and want more of it? If so, please hit the subscribe button. Your support helps keep this content free and lets me know you're enjoying the show. So please hit that subscribe button and maybe even give us a review while you're at it. Thank you. A very good friend of mine has a sweet dog named Margo. Margo is a one and a half year old miniature golden retriever mix. And she has been with my friend and her family since she was just a puppy. For the first year of her life, Margo was an angel. Picture the perfect dog, and that was Margo. But in recent months, there was a shift. All of a sudden, Margo became nippy, and no one really knew why. So I called up our friend Eric Weesey, a certified trainer and the host of Lucky Dog on CBS, to help us crack the case. So I'm going to ask a lot of questions. This is going to be my discovery on what may be causing this. So when you say nip, is the dog actually getting skin and breaking the skin? Nope, Margo was not breaking skin. And is this when someone is sitting, standing, or both? It was both. Does it happen when the dog is on leash? No, she was good on her leash. Eric nodded. We were getting somewhere. Now it was time to get more background information about Margot and her lifestyle. So I told Eric how Margot had recently gone through a move. My friend and her family bought a house, and prior to moving, they all stayed with her mother for a few months. Her mother also has a dog, who Margot loved. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. So a recent move can definitely cause some anxious behavior, and they could then channel that into trying, again, to solicit play or try to get out some frustration because they can't get their energy out. And what kind of stimulation does the dog get on a daily basis? Exercise, training, anything like that? Margot plays with my friend's four-year-old daughter and goes on walks, but now that the four-year-old is in school and the move has made everyone's commutes a bit longer, the playtime and walks are shorter and more intermittent. And then do you know where the dog sleeps? Margot had recently started sleeping in the little girl's room. Here, the interrogation comes to an end. So, what was Eric's final conclusion? And how does he suggest we can help Margot with different kinds of training methods? And how can you use those same methods with your own pets? Find out after the break. I don't know about you, but I love to take my new puppy Teddy everywhere I can. And when I do, I want to make sure to have some good treats on hand for when I need them. Our favorite is Blue Nudges On The Go Treats. They are made with real USA chicken as the first ingredient and no artificial flavors or preservatives. And my favorite part, they are packed in a convenient reusable flip top container that fits right in your cup holder. So these meaty treats are an easy and healthy way to reward your dog on the go. Purchase nudges on the go wherever you buy pet treats. Eric, welcome back to Life with Pets. Thank you for having me. First things first, it, it sounds, and again, I have not been there to analyze the behavior. So this is just an educated guess on what may be going on. It mm-hmm. sounds like because of the environmental change and because of the lifestyle change, meaning not having another dog to play with and maybe not getting as much attention, especially with a four-year-old, as that four-year-old starts to get older and older, the attention might go more onto the four-year-old. Where when you have mm-hmm. an infant, you know, they, they take more naps, uh, you know, there's a lot more time to maybe devote towards a dog. And especially if the dog had another uh, playmate. So it sounds like the dog is trying to get some frustration out and also solicit play. So if no skin is being broken and the dog is kind of 
nipping a little bit to try to get some form of attention. Uh, and it could be attention seeking mm-hmm. behavior. Uh, it sounds like the dog needs more mental stimulation uh, and maybe a little bit more physical exercise. Now, you don't want to just do physical exercise. It sounds like because you said the dog is a retriever mix, uh, you want to make sure that you're they're getting mental stimulation as well. That could be taking them through training exercises. Uh, you could take them to agility parks if they're very agile. Mm-hmm. You can take them to controlled social scenarios, whether that be a daycare, uh, where again, you know, if the dogs are vaccinated uh, and you know the dogs are well-tempered for play. And so you can do stuff like that and start to introduce that and see if that starts to alter some of the behavior. The other thing you can do is, because you mentioned that the dog is not nipping while they're on leash, you can start to have the dog on leash in the environment as an added boundary where you can guide your dog away from people that Mm -hmm. they would normally nip. So, and what you start to do is to get focus back on you. You can take a treat, you take it to the dog's nose, you take it up to your nose. As soon as you get eye contact, you'll say yes to mark that behavior and then give them a reward and see if that even works. Sometimes the dogs don't go for the treat because they're so overwhelmed with people coming over to the home and they want to start to play. And unfortunately, with retrievers, they're very oral. They're a very oral breed, and they really communicate with their mouths a lot. And so they start Uh to do that little nip to try to get you to play with them. Or they're saying, hey, I'm frustrated. I have have no mental stimulation. Children will do this too. They'll hit their mom's leg or hit their teacher's leg uh, sometimes to get attention Mm -hmm. when they don't feel like they're getting enough stimulation or exercise or they'll have a complete meltdown and throw a fit. And so these are all indications that we need to pay attention to like, okay, I don't know if my dog is getting what they need throughout the day. And so my first inkling would be that maybe the dog is trying to solicit attention and trying to tell their parents that I'm not getting enough stimulation throughout the day. This is the only way that I'll get it is that if I start to nip because I get a much larger response to that because typically when a dog starts to nip, you're like, oh, why are you doing it? And the dog, even though it's negative attention, yep. they get attention. Exactly. And so it could be attention-seeking behavior, trying to solicit play. And the remedies for that would be trying to change it up a little bit. Take your dog you know, on a different walk, maybe a little bit longer. Start to go through a training regimen with your dog, either by having them on leash when they're in the house. Go over the basics. Uh, usually retrievers are very smart and they want to work. And so you can start to go over little exercises with them. You can simply hire a professional to come in as well to help you start to create those activities that the dog would want to do. But all of a sudden, hopefully you'll start to see a big behavior change and that nipping starts to subside. But it's also how you react to the nipping. So if we give Mm -hmm. a big reaction, we say no and start to really get audible with our dogs or even swat at them, it'll only make that behavior worse. So having a dog on leash as an added boundary with their handler and they're redirecting them could be very helpful. But you have to combine that probably with giving your dog a little bit more stimulation throughout the day. I love it. Amazing. I'll pass this information on and I will give you an update next time we talk if that worked. But that's awesome. And that you talked a lot about some of the things that I want to talk about in this episode, positive versus negative Mm -hmm reinforcement and how you can do that properly with your pet. So give me a baseline again, like we always do differences between positive and negative reinforcement. It seems pretty self-explanatory, but maybe there's more nuances to it. It can be a little confusing. 
So positive reinforcement is adding a stimulus to a desired behavior. So your dog sits, you give a treat. So you're reinforcing that behavior by adding a stimulus. Negative reinforcement is taking something away. So taking a stimulus away. So let's say your dog is on a a pinch collar while walking. And as they pull, that pinch collar tightens around their neck and causes discomfort. So they're pulling along. It's discomfort, discomfort, discomfort. And as soon as they stop pulling, that pinch collar loosens and there's no more pinch and there's no more tightness around the neck. So it's removing that as soon as you see the desired behavior. Okay. Mm -hmm. So those are the big differences between positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement. Unfortunately, negative reinforcement, although, and I'll put this disclaimer out there, can work, but it's at a cost. Mm -hmm. So when you're utilizing negative reinforcement to train your dog, it's always going to be at a cost. And that cost could be ruining trust between you and your dog. And a lot of times when negative reinforcement is utilized, it's not even at the exact time that it should be. So not say that negative reinforcement should ever be used, but when it is applied, it's usually applied at the wrong time. So that it confuses the dog on what it is you're wanting them to stop doing. Okay. So I want to dig deeper into that. But mm-hmm. before we do, I want to talk a little about the background of training in general, the science of training, how has it developed, mm-hmm. all the various methods of training. So take me through, like, what is happening when you're training your your dog, whether it's with positive or negative reinforcement? So positive reinforcement is using a method that does not psychologically or physically intimidate your dog to get a desired behavior. You're simply using a reward stimulus, whether that be a treat, physical or verbal praise to reinforce the behavior that you'd like to see out of your dog. But again, that has to be applied at the exact time that you see the desired behavior. And now Pavlov, so Pavlov's dogs, not the greatest person if you dive deep into the history (laughs) of Pavlov, but he coined a lot of terms that we use in psychology today. So classical conditioning or counter conditioning, where he would put this dehydrated meat powder in a bell and he would shake the bell and this meat powder would fall out. The dogs would lick the meat powder off of the ground and they started to associate the bell with the meat powder and their mouths would start to salivate. So they would give a response when meat powder wasn't even put in this bell. He would ring the bell the dog's brain assumed that they were going to be getting meat powder, so they would start to salivate. So we started to realize that we can condition a dog's brain even without adding the end stimulus. The stimulus became the bell. So we started to learn this with animals and apply it, and we added a marking word because we couldn't necessarily get a treat out without distracting the dog out of a treat pouch really quickly and mark it right away. So we started to use a word, and I use the word yes. Some people use a clicker, something that is a consistent sound like the bell. And what they would do is once they saw the desired behavior, so once like let's say a little uh, dog's butt touches the ground and you wanted them to sit, you would say yes as soon as that happened. So the dog's function, the the response, the cerebral response to that would be, I'm going to get a reward. And so they knew as soon as they sat down, you say yes, that triggers the response, 
and then you can take your time, usually a couple of seconds to get a treat out and then reward. So that has to be spaced out. But they, we started to realize we can utilize that to work with our dogs and it works with humans too. For instance, we go to work and we get a paycheck. So <laughs> we're reinforced to go to work. And so that's kind of the gist of positive reinforcement and how it's applied. And there's, there's trainers out there that call themselves balance trainers where they'll use a combination of positive mm-hmm. reinforcement and negative reinforcement. So for instance, they'll treat when they see desired behaviors, but they'll also use a pinch collar or choke chain to use negative reinforcement to get a dog to stop pulling on leash. So they're using both. But unfortunately, again, it can start to ruin the relationship between you and your dog. It can also cause a lot of other different behaviors. For example, if a dog reacts on leash to another dog and you start to realize, okay, at this line or this distance, my dog starts to react. So making sure that you don't cross that line, that's great. But if you have your dog on a pinch collar or choke chain, something that tightens around their neck, which releases cortisol to the brain, unfortunately, which is a stress hormone, but they start to pull towards that dog. So now what they're getting to the brain is every time they see another dog and they start to pull, they get a pinch. And so they start to associate looking at that other dog with a pinch. And that can yeah, actually cause <laughs> reactive behavior. Yeah. Because they're like, I don't want to see another dog because every time I see another dog, they're not understanding that it's because they're pulling they start to think what they're looking at. And so, and I'll give you an analogy to help, you know, everyone understand what I'm talking about. If a spider drops in front of your face. Thank you. And you're not a fan of spiders, right? All right. (laughs) And you scream. That's an involuntary response. Okay. Mm -hmm. So your scream, you're not aware of. It's an involuntary response to something that's causing fear. And so now if I come behind you, now let's say there's no imminent threat. The spider just drops on its you know, web right in front of you, but nothing's happening. The spider's not biting you. It's not trying to attack you in any way, but you're just fearful because you are fearful of spiders. Now let's say I'm right there beside you and every time that spider drops down, you scream, but then you get a hundred bucks. All right. <laughs> okay. Which is, which is interesting. You're going to be like, what just happened here? Why did I get a hundred dollars? All of a sudden spider drops down again. You start to scream, but then you get $100. And you're like, what is going on? Your mind, because $100 is typically really valuable to a human, your mind is going to start to wonder where the correlation is. And your involuntary response of screaming, because in your brain, you're not in danger anymore. Meaning the spider has dropped so many times, nothing has happened to you but you're getting $100. That scream eventually starts to go away because your attention is diverted to another stimulus. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's the explanation I use when your dog is out on a walk and let's say your dog is at the point where they're reacting towards other dogs. Ask yourself, what type of equipment are you using? Because if it is a pinch collar, choke collar, and the dog starts to pull towards that dog, they get that pinch. It's the same involuntary response. So when they look at that other dog, They start to bark, and that bark can be an involuntary response similar to our scream. But if they get a pinch rather than a treat, they can start to associate. Like, I don't. So imagine if someone swatted you every time that spider dropped, you're going to scream probably for both. And so (laughs) it makes it that much worse when you're working with your dogs. So you want to make sure that you're not contributing 
to the anxiety that your dog is going through. And a lot of times someone, people start to add in, you know, shock collars, for instance, where they, they have right. positive punishment. So we're talking about operant conditioning. There's four quadrants, positive reinforcement, positive punishment, negative reinforcement, negative punishment. When you start to have like a remote shock or even a bark collar uh, where it gets a shock every time they bark, you're starting to add punishment into that every time your dog mm -hmm. barks, but you're doing it in the involuntary response. So a dog's involuntary response is barking like you screaming, but it's not doing anything, it's actually making things worse. Every time they see a stimulus, if they get that shock, they start to associate that shock with seeing that other dog. So now, every time you're on a walk, they're either going to be extremely terrified uh, of other dogs and just curl up and not want to respond to it, or the, it makes the behavior worse. So either you have an extremely fearful dog out on a walk that they hate their walks because they're afraid they're going to get shocked at any moment. Or if they see another dog, if they react, they're going to get shocked also. So it just makes a really bad experience for your dog taking them on walks if you're utilizing that type of training. So and it, it's always interesting to me when people pair treats with that. So they'll shock for the bark and then they'll treat, you know, when they don't bark. And it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense for the dog. It's like your parent hitting you, but then giving you your allowance. It's like, what was that right. all about? Well, I'm confused. It's, it's very confusing <laughs> for a dog because at least with humans, you can verbalize what you're doing right. with a dog. Right. And why? Yeah, yes. exactly. So I, I, I'm i fascinated by this. And I'm also just grateful because I think personally going into this, I didn't understand the difference between positive and negative. And I think a lot of people don't. A lot of pet parents think negative reinforcement is you saying no or, you know, just shoving your dog's nose in their mess if they made a mess, right? Sure. Like, and that's not necessarily what this is. Yeah. No, and, and that's in negative reinforcement. So if you're shoving your dog's nose in their urine, so let's say they had an accident, one, your dog's memory isn't going to pick that up, even if it happens, right. you know, 10 seconds after or right after, they're just going to think that you had a meltdown. And like my right. parent went crazy for some reason and they're shoving my face in the urine. And that's actually a form of positive punishment. So you're adding a punishment after seeing an unwanted behavior. So, it, and again, they're just not gonna associate. And let's go back to using the word no. So Hillary, if I said no to you right now with no context, what am I saying no to? Unclear, Unclear. nobody knows. No idea, right? <laughs> now let's say it's because you're wearing your shoes right now. So let's say you're wearing shoes and it's because you're wearing your shoes right now. How many guesses would it have taken? Now I'm catching <laughs> you doing that right now. So for argument's sake, you're wearing shoes. You're wearing them. I'm catching you doing it, but I didn't give you the context of why I'm saying no. I, I could have just said, Hillary, can you take off your shoes? But right. how many guesses if I said, Hillary, no. And you're like, uh, I don't know. It would have been probably 80 million yeah, on so, my list. Really? <laughs> and then, But let's skip all of that. And let's say, Hillary, hey, do you mind if you take off your shoes? And if you do that, I'll give you a hundred bucks. Great. We just, yeah, we just eliminated all, <laughs> all of that frustration, all of that confusion. And as soon as you take off your shoes, I'm gonna actually get more specific. And I'm like, hey, do you mind putting them over there back by your shelf? And you're like, okay, mm -hmm. hundred bucks. Now, if we yeah. do that on a daily basis, every time we have these conversations and I'm like, Hillary, oh, do you mind if you put your shoes over there? Probably seven or eight times in to us having a conversation, you'll probably just immediately put your shoes over there without me having to ask for it, knowing that you're going to get your payment. And so I've now programmed your brain to putting your shoes over to a specific spot and you get a reward. And eventually that reward starts to lessen, meaning it goes down to 50 bucks. 
and then five bucks. You're still getting payment. And then it goes down to, Hillary, thank you so much for doing that. But by that time, your brain is getting so much dopamine pumped that you're like, oh, this is awesome. This made me so much money and it makes me so happy to put my shoes right over here that Mm -hmm. we don't have to use the reward anymore. So it's really awesome when that starts to happen. And we see that in our dogs when we condition a behavior and they're so happy that they did it. My dog Teddy is going through something right now. What is it, you ask? It's the true blue effect, which is all the benefits your dog could experience from the key ingredients in blue life protection formula. I'm talking healthy coat, strong bones, muscle development, immune system health, great digestion, strong joints, and lots and lots of energy. Try the blue life protection formula now and see if your dog benefits from the true blue effect. Okay, that's super helpful, amazing. Is there a scenario where negative reinforcement is appropriate? Is that ever something, or is there the quote unquote balanced kind of training? In my opinion, the only time some sort of negative reinforcement or positive punishment would be utilized in certain circumstances is if you need to separate yourself from your dog. So let's say your dog is overwhelming you and you can't get them to calm down. And so you would either restrict their environment by either putting them on leash, but if that doesn't work, they have to go behind a barrier, something like a baby gate, uh, not a crate. I typically don't like to utilize crates uh, as a break area, but getting them behind something where they can calm down before you get them back out. Now, again, we're not trying to punish our dogs. We're just trying to create separation so right. we can take a breath. And be like, what is my dog trying to do? What are they trying to get my attention for? Do they need to go outside? Do they need food? Do they need water? And take a break, but you can't do that in the midst of your dog. Like we were talking about uh, a friend of yours earlier where they would nip and how do I, you know, stop that from happening before I start to be, you know, come up with a treatment plan. So right, that's exactly, the, I was just going to ask, like, if you're being nipped, yeah. how do you react in that situation? No, And so you, you have no? to, it, it, for safety reasons, you have to separate yourself between you and your dog. And so that's where I would, I would utilize something like that. Uh, I wouldn't utilize, you know, any sort of Uh, punishment where you're becoming physical with your dog. I I wouldn't even verbalize it for that matter. Actions are going to speak much louder than words as far as the separation goes. So separating you from your dog and then start to ask yourself, what kind of treatment plan can I come up with to curb this type of behavior without physically or mentally intimidating my dog? So there's usually a reason why your dog is doing that. But in in that situation, I think it's a little bit tricky too, because you maybe know that, okay, the dog wants attention. The Mm -hmm. dog wants to let out some energy. If you give the dog what it wants, are you then reinforcing the behavior of nipping? Absolutely. So if you give your dog a treat, but so think in terms of what you want your dog to do rather than what you don't want your dog to do. So if your Mm -hmm. dog is nipping you, what would you rather have your dog do instead? Now, a lot of times it's because the dog hasn't been uh, stimulated at all throughout the day or they haven't gone on their right. walk. And so we can make a simple adjustment by taking them on a walk uh, before something like that happens. So, you know, when we get home, sometimes tired from work and we don't take our dogs out or take them on a walk and that's when they start to get nippy. 
Now, mm-hmm. if we came home and just said, listen, rather than going through the nipping behavior, let me take my dog out on a walk. Let me get them some stimulation and we can slowly start to curb that behavior. In other words, too, if you're wanting to replace the nipping behavior, I'd rather have my dog sit next to me and lie next to my feet. And you can start to train that. And so yeah. rather than rewarding a dog for nipping you, so let's say they nip you and you get a treat frantically out and you just start tossing treats <laughs> to the ground, you're rewarding yeah. <laughs> that behavior. But if you get a treat right. out, you, you remain calm, take the treat to their nose, lure them over to a bed, get them into a sit, maybe put them into a down. This requires obviously basic obedience training and then utilizing that bed and then rewarding them when they go to that bed. Now you're no longer rewarding the nipping behavior. You're rewarding them for going to their bed. Right. You've redirected them. You've redirected them. So always think of how can I redirect my dog? But also too, redirection is sometimes useless if your dog is begging for some stimulation or begging to be taken out on a walk. You want to make sure that you eliminate those causes first before you start to replace the behavior. It seems like you have to be proactive. Mm -hmm. You have to catch it kind of before it happens because if you're getting nipped, it's hard to in the moment say, let's redirect. It can throw you off. No, absolutely. And, and being proactive in training is so important. Being proactive in, in a human's life is really important too. It's much easier for us to have uh, discipline. Let's say I, I wanted to get in shape and I'm on a, a specific diet. And it's much easier for us to just go on a diet and then go to the gym and, and re- maintain a healthy lifestyle. What's really hard is when you get yourself to a point where like, I'm so out of shape. I, I'm so tired. I can't go to the gym. I'm eating terribly. Now I have to break all of these habits mm-hmm. to get to this diet rather than starting it from the beginning, you know, when, when you're younger and starting off good habits. And it's really hard to break those really, really bad habits. So starting your dog off on great habits, which we have all the control over. We have the control over taking them out. We have the control over working with them. We have the control over their diet. So Unlike ourselves, where we feel like sometimes we don't have control, we're like, oh, I can go for that burger right now. And we, you know, give into that impulse with our dogs. We have control over almost all of their life. And so we have the ability to utilize food as a reinforcer. We have the ability to exercise and give our dogs stimulation. So knowing that it's relatively easy to come up with a treatment plan. It's just how many habits do we have to break with ourselves? Meaning when we come home from work, Do we just want to go lie on the couch and watch TV because that's our habit as opposed to taking our dog out on a walk and avoiding the nipping behavior? If a pet parent has been kind of utilizing different training methods, has been doing this, that, and the other thing, how would you direct them? Is it more just like you have to stick to one lane or can you have multiple different ways that you're trying to train your animal? There's not a one size fits all. And you're not going to use treats necessarily as reinforcers all the time. There's uh, a method called behavior adjustment training, where if you have a leash reactive dog and you're taking them on walks, you want to find that imaginary line on when they cross that imaginary line, they start to react. So you're taking them up to that line and then removing them to start to build up that trust. So you're basically going up to the line. So let's say a dog, dog is two blocks away. And that's their threshold. So if they get a little bit closer than those two blocks, they start to react. You take them up to that two block mark. You remove them from the environment, meaning you walk the opposite direction. And so they start to check in with you. They're like, oh, great. Okay, you didn't force me to go closer to that stimulus. Mm -hmm. Start to build that trust on leash. And then that imaginary line slowly starts to move closer and closer to each stimulus that would normally cause a reaction. So you're building that trust. 
So going into what method should somebody use or utilize, I would always go with the least intrusive method of training. Uh, You want to make sure that you're using methods that don't put your dog in a circumstance where, yeah, you're going to curb maybe the reactive behavior, but then you're ruining trust on leash because they're getting a pinch uh, every time they pull on leash and react towards that dog. So you want to make sure that you're constantly trying to build more and more trust with your dog. The more and more trust you have, the more desired behaviors you're going to see. How do you know when it's time to progress? Mm-hmm. So you, you you gave the two block example. How do you know when you can go a block and a half yeah. uh, to one block? There are signals. So there are mm-hmm. signals that our dogs give us via body language. So when a dog licks their lips and not up over their nose, that can actually be a calming signal. But when they do this and they just stick out their tongue, almost kind of like a snake, and they just kind of yeah. lick their upper lip, that's a sign of stress. You can see it in their body as well as far as how tense they are. You can sometimes feel it through the leash, how tense they are. You want to see if their body is very rigid. That's, again, another sign of stress or a precursor to reactivity. Where the tail is, is the tail up in like a tuning fork and not wagging gently behind them. So, again, another uh, precursor to possible reactivity. And then you want to look at their ear positions. Are they sticking straight up and alert? Are they pasted you know, back against the neck? Uh, where they're kind of, you know, bowing their head down to the ground and kind of squinting their eyes. Uh, You also want to pay attention to the eyes, too, because if they give us what's called crescent eye, where you can see kind of the white of their eye forms uh, like a crescent moon, Mm -hmm. that's a sign of, you know, they're in distress or kind of worried. uh, And you want to pay attention to that as well. So if they give us these signals, they're letting us know that the environment that they're in or the stimulus that they're walking towards is causing some sort of discomfort. And so they're relying on us on leash to remove them from that. Now, if they don't show us those signals, so let's say we get two blocks and their body language is happy, their tail is in a neutral position, they don't seem rigid at all, they're not licking their lip, and we're walking towards and all of a sudden we get a little closer and they still don't do it, that means your line in that circumstance has been Mm -hmm. moved forward. So you're starting to see that progress. And then you can combine the behavior adjustment training with classical conditioning, where when they start to see another dog or whatever would cause a reaction, start to treat them. And so you're combining removing them from the situation, building that trust on leash, but you're also treating them every time they see another dog or something that would cause reactivity. So now you're working with both and you're building not only trust on leash, but you're building trust with you and them. So they're starting to rely on you a lot more for their safety and comfort. How important is it that everybody who interacts with your dog follows the same protocols? I'm thinking of my friend again. You know, if her husband doesn't react the same way to the dog, if her daughter doesn't react the same way to the dog, how how important is it to all be on the same page? And Or is there one person who has to be the leader? Crucial that everyone acts the same. So let's say you're trying to get your dog not to jump on you, right? Yeah. And Every time your dog jumps on you, if you turn away, walk away, and then you start to replace the behavior saying with sitting and teaching what we would call a default sit where you walk up to your dog and your dog automatically sits back, you can train that. Now, the first time your dog jumps on somebody and then someone kind of pushes them down or says, hey, yeah. hey and starts to pet them, <laughs> right. all that training that you put in to trying to teach your dog to default sit and not jump on people kind of goes out that window in that moment at oh. least. And yeah. <laughs> it can also transfer on to other people where they're like, oh, maybe I can jump on this person. They give me the same attention. So it's very crucial that you communicate with everyone in the household, anyone who's going to be greeting your dog. When in doubt, 
tell that stranger on the street, sorry, my dog's in training right now. I, I can't come up and greet you. So it's really important to utilize those tools at your disposal when you're training your dog, where if they're on leash, you can simply guide your dog away from someone who wants to come up and greet your dog because they don't know necessarily how to interact with your dog. Mm -hmm. And one final thing that I want to touch on is, you know, it's great if you can get a trainer, but it's not necessary, right? Anybody, any pet parent can use basic training mm -hmm. ideas and methods that you've been talking about, right? Well, yeah. It, so it's like going to the gym. Anyone can go to the gym. Anyone can run on the treadmill. Anyone can work out. But it's how well, how well do you know the techniques? How well uh, do you know your body? How well do you know what diet your particular person should be on? You know, how well do you know all of these things? Anyone can go, any layman can, you know, go work out and maybe see some results. But at the end of the day, if you don't have a great foundation or a grasp of how to work with an animal, sometimes that professional coming in is necessary. But if you've already worked with a trainer that's been certified and they use positive reinforcement and they're not using methods to psychologically or physically intimidate a dog, and you understand that, you don't necessarily need someone to come in and you already know what to do. Just like if you hire a trainer to go to the gym and you get the fundamentals down and you get the right and proper technique, you can certainly go to the gym and start to implement those without hiring the trainer to do so. It's only if you want to sharpen things up and you've hit a wall. And if you've hit that wall, do you need assistance to help get over that wall? Awesome. Eric, amazing. As always, before we leave, any resources that you can point pet parents to about training, about where to find the best resources to, to get their pets living their best lives? Yes. So the organization I belong to is the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants. So it's IAABC. Dot org. You can simply type in your zip code and find a behavior consultant in your area. There's also the ccpdt.org, which is the certified professional dog trainers. If you're looking to work on just basic obedience, you can also watch me and my wife, Rashi, on CBS Lucky Dog, where we give tips and tricks on how to work with your dogs. That's Saturday mornings on CBS. Just check your local listings. Amazing. Thank you, as always. Thank you very much, Hillary. You've been listening to Life with Pets, the show that combines real pet stories with proven guidance from pet professionals. I'm your host, Hillary Georgie, and I hope this show has been a great resource for you as a pet parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to download the Buddies app. This episode was produced by the team at mission.org.